What's up, Mike? Hey, Chad. How are you? I'm good. Long time, no talk. Long time. Right? It has been. I know. It'll make it a special episode because you don't you don't even know any of the stories that's, that have happened in however many months. That's right. I, I <clears throat> we were just talking before we started recording, and I told him uh, I wanted to save it for the show. So we're doing this. We're doing the show kind of old school, like we used to, where we just kind of come on and start talking instead of the yeah. the new format. So we're going back to the old format. So what the hell's been going on? Where are you at? It's been, <laughs> yeah, I, I figured that was going to be your first question. Where the hell are you at anyway? Because you're following the Patreon, but I'm not specific always about exactly where I'm at. So I mean, I have an idea. Um, but I am I'm in not totally sure Southern Oregon. I'm just outside Brookings, Oregon. So basically, we're like the town itself is only I think 10 or 12 miles from the California border, from the Northern California border. Oh, cool. <clears throat> so I'm way down in southern Oregon, right on the ocean. Like where we're at is, I don't know, five miles or so from the ocean. Wow. Do they have or- surfers in Oregon? I'm sure that they have a surfer culture. I think we're here late for the surfer culture, though. You never hear like about it. It already has started raining. Oregon surfers. You never hear about that. I never, I never have. It's like a California No, thing. and I haven't seen any, but the I mean, the the beach looks perfect for it the mm. waves look perfect for it as far as what i know about surfing although i'm certainly not a surfing aficionado or anything <laughs> you don't keep up with all the surfing that goes on in oregon no no i have pretty <laughs> much kept up with nothing that's going on in oregon except for the individual whose place i'm staying at because i actually want to give a shout out to sean mckinney and his family they found me through my patreon and became collectors and patrons and oh, cool. friends and said, hey, we've got a spot if you guys want to come out where there's electric and water and a dump and you have your own little kind of Shangri-La in the, the middle of the woods. And so oh, when cool. we finished up in New Mexico, we did a four-day crazy jaunt all the way out here, like 900 miles, and uh, drove all the way from Pilar, New Mexico, which is northern New Mexico. It's basically the Rio Grande Gorge for people that are interested in knowing where that's at. And we went from there all the way here to the Pacific Ocean. <laughs> In, in four days crazy and we boondocked every night too so it was like every single day we'd be like okay let's pick a spot that's free that's like bureau of land management or forest service or whatever and we'll just drive in cold and we'll find a spot and we'll dock out and we'll stay here for the night and then we'll pack it all up in the morning and drive another however many few hundreds of miles and yeah so it so, was quite the adventure just so for people who don't know boondocking is just when you kind of make no arrangements and find a place and pull over, find a place you can kind of stop or. Yeah. Boondocking like is Walmart is that, parking it's, lot or. <laughs> yeah. It's side anywhere of the road. where you don't have a hookup. So it's like, it comes from, from the term boondocks. Oh, out in the boondocks, which is like in the middle of nowhere, but it, it has now translated in RV full-time RV lingo for people who don't know who the hell I am and what I'm even talking about. <laughs> full-time <laughs> RV lingo calls boondocking. Anytime that you're basically not hooked up to an external system. So you're running off all your own 12-volt systems and your Jenny if you need it and your own hot water heater, your internal water, and you're not using what would be considered shore water hookup or shore power because um, everything's kind of in boating terms. It's it's funny, and that's, no, that's part weird. of the reason why we named our rig the steamboat because right. it is like boating. There's It's like boating on the roads. Yeah. It's a trip. The dog runs across the RV and the whole thing moves. You know, it's on shocks and struts and stuff. Yeah. So it's like everything's always kind of rocking and rocking. You stand on solid ground and you get like sea legs. Like, whoa, <laughs> is the world moving or what? 
Well, we I guess we maybe we should say if, if there's new listeners that that aren't haven't listened to the old podcast, Mike is the guy who I started the podcast with, and and we we hosted it together before, and then Mike eighty nine episodes eighty nine episodes yeah. So if you hear yeah. those old ones, you'll hear me and Mike bullshitting for the most of, most part, and yep. um, <laughs> and that sums uh, it up. <laughs> and uh, he left to go. Uh, live life in an RV on the road, so that's we're checking in now. And um, well, see. and the last time we checked in was I think I was only two months in because I was All in right. Florida. <clears throat> now I'm eight months in, so it's been six months since the last time I was on the show. And at the time, I think we'd been in three states. We've been in eighteen states now. Wow, <laughs> so a lot has happened in a very short period of time. Have you listened to that Who song going going mobile yet? You played it for me. Uh, uh, yeah, but you got to hear the whole thing because all the lyrics, the, all the lyrics are about living on the road <laughs> in an well, RV. I clearly, I should clearly tune into it. You, you should. It's, it should be your theme song. I think it's the <laughs> only be. RV. If I like it, it'll the be only. It's a song. good song. It's a Who song from like their best album. So, uh, so obviously I must like. It. Yeah, it's the, the, every song in that album is great. Who's next? Um, I do like I do like the Who though, so it's not like it would be a hard sell or anything. It's not one of my favorite songs on that album, but every song in that album's great. So um, it's the one that's got "Teenage Wasteland" on it. It's that album. Yeah, yeah. But uh, well, and that always reminds me of "Summer of Sam," the film "Summer of Sam," the oh, right. uh, Spike Lee film, because that that was kind of like one of the theme songs in it uh, with the Adrian Brody character, who is like this punk rock guy from the late seventies. Shit, like I'm, all the cliches. It's a great my, film. It reminds me of the early 70s when i was a little kid hearing it blasting out of my brother's room on vinyl right well you and i definitely have a, a generation gap to whatever to... <laughs> um yeah so chet so chet and i did this for a long time and it was just like second nature and then i went through major life changes and recalibrations and organizations and set off on this this uh full-time living in an rv with my wife joy and our three dogs lupe brenya and tula and just traveling and working from the rig. So it's been a, a complete upheaval of everything that I knew for the previous very long period of time. <laughs> yeah. Do you, ha- do you have any, uh, what are your, so far, what are your biggest takeaways from this experience? Do you have any that like stand out? I'm sure it's a million things, but are there any like big ones that stand out to you? Um, yeah, well, there's a lot, like you said, so it's kind of like, well, where do you begin? But I think a big, a big takeaway is just the recognition of the, the usage of resources and our print on on the earth, really. (laughs) That's like the number one thing, because I think in many cases, you know, you're measuring everything you, you use and consume and everything that goes in and out in a way that you're not as acutely aware of when you're living in what in again in the RV lingo would be called a stick and brick. <laughs> That's like the term for it. <laughs> so when you're living in a stick and brick, you flush the toilet you may not be thinking as much about the gallons of water that are washing that down and where that's going to and how that's being handled as well as the water that goes Uh oh you froze. Alright I'm recording. I'm, I'm just going to start recording and yeah. We'll figure it out. Whoops. <laughs> I got Wi-Fi here. It's strong. My Wi-Fi is strong. It is. So what? are you recording again? Yeah, yes. I'm recording now. So what were you saying? Well, I don't know. Where did where last did you hear me? <laughs> uh, the big takeaway. Uh, oh, uh, toilet 
water flushing. <laughs> <laughs> so you didn't make it to the perception of time or anything like that? Huh? No, you kept going. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Of course. Yeah. I thought you were just like really, really pontificating on what I was saying. I was like, wow, and you just hadn't so budged a single inch. <laughs> so perfect. This is like the old time. So you saw the picture of me frozen and you thought it was just me listening intently? Yeah, I was like, oh, he's really, he's really turning an ear to what I have to say. <laughs> okay, oh, that's too well, good. Anyway, go, keep going. Well, what I was talking about originally was the use of resources in our footprint, and basically just that because everything that goes in is measured, and there's a you know a limited supply of it, and everything that comes out you have to deal with, whether it's your raw sewage or your wastewater or whatever. You know, you're really measuring your gasoline and your propane and and you know your your electricity and all of these things, and so you kind of have a a stronger mind for, you know, what it is that we have in our society and how wasteful we often are without even realizing it because we've just become complacent to those resources be, being readily on hand. Mm. And there's a difference between paying your bill for your water and your electricity versus filling up the water yourself and going to all the efforts to filter it and get right. it into your rig and then have it and then use it and know there's only so much. And then when you have to get rid of it, it's not like it just goes down this drain with a few gallons of water. It's like <laughs> you got to go and dump it, you know, and that's a whole process. And it's, it's very much part of your life and because of the way we're living our life, our work, because it's every step of what we're doing is part of us living the thing that we're living, which is what's paying the bills to live it. So there's no intermediary. There's no middleman. It's, it's very direct. Right. Um, and so that awareness has gone up and that's been a big takeaway. And then the other one I was referring to, which was the perception of the passage of time and being more dialed into your biorhythms. You know, it's like I sleep when I'm tired. I wake up when my body tells me to wake up. I eat when my body tells me to be hungry. If that's like five times in a day, cause I'm in cold Oregon, then okay. If that's one time a day because I'm in the hot desert, well, then okay, you know, and it's much more dictated by the climate and the place you are and the ecology of that place and, you know, your adjustment to that place and the passage of time kind of shifts where it's like if you're on a four day run where you're burning, you know, a thousand miles, it's almost like you're napping between all of these stages of like this hundred hour long day <laughs> and you're just right. like, so it feels like this ridiculously long day where you you know, you're passing through all of these different cultures and accents and foods and terrains and country. And, you know, it's wild. You end up like waking up at a place and opening the door and being like, wait, is this where I am? Where am I? You know, because the inside always stays the same. It's the outside that changes. And so it's like, oh, it's just my house. I'm living in my house. And you open the door and you're like, whoa, I'm I'm on the, you know, the Bonneville Speedway <laughs> in the salt flats on the outside of, of the Great Salt Lake in Utah. Like, what? Huh? Where wow. am I? I thought I was in, you know, the 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 uh, desert outside Moab, or I thought I was up in El Rito in New Mexico. You know, it's a trip, and so it kind of shifts the way you perceive time and the passage of time and what you need and don't need and when you do and don't need it versus, you know, the the obligation of well, this is when I have time to have lunch right now, and so I'm going to have lunch now whether I need it or not because I need to take advantage of this half an hour that I have. You know, right. it's a very different paradigm anyhow, and so those have been kind of the most I think. Uh, obvious takeaways from the hmm. journey, but also the balance between the intensity, um, you know, things are really beautiful and exciting and wonderful at times. And then they're terrifying and horrible and, and disgusting at other times. And so there's, you know, 
you get this amazing experience that is is so sublime in some ways and in other ways is more challenging than you could even begin to imagine you know mm. the requirements well, of can, waking up can in you a stop, different stop yeah. shaking the camera so you're like, making me seasick <laughs> hey welcome to my world <laughs> yeah that's funny there that you go yeah that's good thank you uh it's funny that you say that because I was going to ask you what kind of what your favorite thing about it is and what your least favorite thing about about the whole uh, process has been. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I would say that my favorite part is the sa- almost the same thing that's my least favorite part, which is just <laughs> the, re- the requirement of adaptability to constantly changing circumstances and people and settings. You know, and at times it's really fun and exciting. You'll pull into some like trippy place like when we went to North Carolina to do work camping. We met these people online 36 hours before we showed up. We don't know these people. We're in Georgia. They're in North Carolina. They're like, we need some help on our farm. We'll put you up and give you electricity and power and a place to be if you want to work. And we're like, all right. So we just hop in the vehicle, load everything up, and drive 400 and some odd miles. And now we're in North Carolina and these people's backyard. And I've never met them, and I don't even know where I am, you know? Right. And it's, it's so under some circumstances, it's really kind of fun and exciting, and you're like, wow, this is, what a trip. I'm, like, about to learn all about these people's culture and, like, help them bale hay and shovel manure and deconstruct a barn, mm-hmm. you know? And, it's, and so it's really novel in that way, and, and you're like, wow, this is a whole different thing I never would have experienced if I wasn't living this lifestyle. But at other times, it's really unpleasant and difficult and challenging because you'll end up in a situation where you don't want to be there or your safety warrants that you leave there. And, and so, for instance, we're in New Mexico at Echo Amphitheater, which is like 45 minutes from anywhere, you know, and we're out here in the middle of this BLM area that's really the Wild West. And all of a sudden, What's a BLM this, area, uh, BLM is the Bureau of Land Management. Black Lives Matter. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> So, you know, a lot of the places you can stay for free where you can, quote, boondock off of your own resources is Bureau of Land Management, which Uh, is BLM, or the Forest Service. Um, There's FDA land. There's all kinds of different land that are basically public lands we all pay for with our taxes that you can go and be there. And you may have some, you know, minimal resources. You may have none. Um, And so we're on this piece of the Bureau of Land Management in the middle of nowhere in northern New Mexico. And I took you there. Echo Amphitheater is that place where you like haul her in and it echoes. Yeah, it's really cool. Yeah. The Valle de los Brujos, which is like a witchy place, is the Valley of the Warlocks. And there's Mm. all this history behind that. And, you know, so it's a creepy place, but it's like a fun, creepy, beautiful place. And we're there. And all of a sudden there's this big rig pulling in and driving around. It's got weird plates. It's like tinted windows. We're like, oh, they drove through the campground once. Half an hour, they drive through again. Half an hour, they drive through again. Half an hour, it's getting dark. They've driven through four times already, real slow. And no one else is around? No, there's no one else around. We're like off in this like real remote area, directly off the side of a major highway that's actually part of the the cartel run from Juarez up into Colorado. Yeah, we're, we're on, you know highway 84 it's you're very remote there's you know no access to any kind of support and this rig keeps driving through and all of a sudden you're getting that sinking feeling in your stomach like at first you were oh it's no big deal now you're like this person's stalking us a little bit like they're checking us out and scoping us and seeing like what we're about and whether or not they should take advantage of us how close were they getting to the rv they're driving right by us because it's like it's a loop and it's like a dirt loop. There's like a main concrete parking lot where you go for the attraction, which I took you to. And you're yeah. like, Oh, 
And then way off to the side in kind of a hidden area is this dirt loop that goes uh, around. And there's all these pull-through spots which are and some back-end spots, which are just basically a flat area that you can pull into off this loop. And so they're driving directly past us every time, going really slow. And the thing is, where we're at, you know, they have Chihuahua plates. Now, that can mean nothing, but where you're at in the country, that, that does change things. So you've got somebody in a Denali driving around with Chihuahua plates, which are, for, you know, Mexican national plates, fine. Mm-hmm. But they're also on the cartel loop, and you're in the middle of nowhere, and it would take 45 minutes to get there from anywhere, but they happen to be showing up every half an hour, right. <laughs> you know? It's, it, on the surface, it appears peculiar enough that maybe you'd pay heed to it. And so I'm like, well, maybe we should move the car, put it up on the trailer so that we, we're ready to go if we need to go. And also to indicate that, you know, we're not just sedentary because this isn't the kind of spot where you check in. This is the kind of spot where you show up and you leave and no one's paying attention to that, right. you know, and you're right off the highway. And, of course, there's all the stories of road agents and things that had happened back in the day. There's just kind of a dark imprint on this land here. A lot of people died there. You know, a bunch of uprisings that have occurred. So you're already getting these vibes. But then this rig comes around, and they've come around four times. They come around on the fifth time. It's getting dark. You know, the car's up on the trailer. And I'm like, this does not feel good to me. So I'm just going to make it clear that I have a handgun. Because, you know, we're in a place where you can open carry. And I'm feeling like I need to, you know, let them know that I know that they see me and I see them too. And so I'm standing out there in the dark and I'm holding my 44 Magnum in my right hand. And I've got the flashlight shining on it. And I'm looking in their windshield. And then as they come around, I walk out on the road and I put my flashlight in their, the back of their window. And I follow them on foot behind their slow vehicle all the way down to the highway. Oh shining my, my flashlight. So I'm making a statement. It's like either... You know, you recognize that we're not to be trifled with or we leave. Those are my options here. So I make my statement and then I watch them go down to the highway. They go left, which is actually like an hour to anywhere. It's farther than if you go right. They drive about a quarter mile up the road. They turn around and come back down and drive by real slow again. And then they head off down the road. So I'm like, Joy, we're leaving like that. I'm not I'm over this. You know, they saw that I have the gun. You know, it's creepy. They're checking us out. Let's just leave. It's like 9.30 at night. It's dark. And so we're like, okay, well, here we go. Everything we have out has got to get packed up, got to get stowed in the basement. The awning's got to come in. The dog's got to be dealt with. When you drive, the dishes can't clatter around, so everything's got to be padded. Everything's got to go where it goes. So you get all packed up, and then they come in again. And now it's pitch black out, and I've already kind of made it clear that, like, yeah, we know – and they start coming around real slow. Joy's still in the back. And I'm like, we're going right now because <laughs> I don't want them to block me in because I only have one way out and I'm 46 feet long. I'm oh, like, shit. I'm a lot of, you know, I got to get out of there. So I just start driving and we pull out and we leave. But now, you know, it's it's almost 10 o'clock at night. You don't even know where you're going. It's pitch black. Oh, you didn't God. choose a place Yeah, and it's to not go. like you could just go, oh, there's another place down the road. Let me just turn around on this highway. That's the other thing, yeah. too, because you're in this giant uh, RV. Yeah. And so then, you know, and all the campgrounds at that point in time that you might be able to check into to pay money, their 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 doors are closed. Oh, they You're close? not coming in. Oh, yeah. All uh, those other parks, they close. Yeah. Wow. So, hey, one sec. I'm going to grab my battery here and okay. plug it in and then we'll just. Oh, you're cutting out. No. Or my. You're cutting out. You're cutting <laughs> so, out. Anyway, okay, here we go. so I guess the point is, is like. <laughs> I'm coming back to the Wi-Fi. You're getting poor connection. I'm coming back. Okay, 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 okay. I know. I know. I don't want to make Brian edit edit this. You bastard. <laughs>
<laughs> Brian's going to be cursing your name. He will be. Well, he hasn't Sorry, Brian. cursed my name in a long time. So <laughs> there's that. Okay, anyway. Okay, well, what happened was I, lo- I was losing my power, and I went to get my batteries so I could charge the phone. Yes. And now it's charging, so we're good, but no, sorry I mean, about that. Back to your scary story. Yeah, so the point is, is like we drive away, and we don't know where we're going, and we just have to pick another place that's BLM, that's in the middle of nowhere to drive in in the dark now, cold too, not knowing what the scene is, up roads that are you know questionable at best. And so – all of a sudden you're foisted into this situation that is intense and unexpected and you have to just rise to the occasion and it's not like you're just there in your car tent camping your whole house is there everything you own is there your entire family is with you and that's how it is all the time so i guess to make a long story short the situations that are fun and exciting and interesting and beautiful and you're like i would never have gotten to have this cool experience were it not for putting myself at the whim of the universe by the same token, yeah. put you in circumstances that are compromising and questionable and dangerous, ultimately. Yeah. And, you know, again, whether it's a perceived danger and you're just terrified because you're allowing it to get to you and you'll never know, like as in the case of Echo Amphitheater, or it's a situation where you are genuinely under threat, you know, as a result of the tide coming in and taking the road, which is what you're parked on away, or all of a sudden breaking down in South Dakota right. and your rig is broken down and you're in a park and you – don't know what you're going to do. you got to have to get it towed. And then you get it towed, and you're sleeping in the parking lot of the truck place that's working on your rig. Oh so it's like you're like, hey, can I plug in? They're like, okay. So you run cords from their roll doors that are now closed across the parking lot, and you're living in the parking lot at Boyer Ford in South Dakota. You know, <laughs> I mean, how weird is that, right? Yeah, that's crazy. You, know? you go out to have your evening cigarette, and it's in this industrial zone in this like parking lot, and you're taking your dogs walking out out there and it's like you know you can't make that stuff up yeah. you couldn't re- i couldn't replace that experience but at the same time while it's happening you're like this fucking sucks you know and you make the best of it but so it's fun and terrifying for the same reasons it's challenging and rewarding for the same reason right. ultimately I think wow. at the end of the day wow well i was gonna say you know you look so much better than the last time we we did this six months ago oh yeah yeah, you looked like 10 years older last time. You looked so haggard and tired. You had like bags under your eyes and everything. And now you look kind of like back to your norm, normal self. So I imagine you've acclimated to this lifestyle at this point somewhat. Well, I, I feel like there's there's like a, an ever threshold that you can't ever reach because the, the circumstances are always changing in such a fashion that you don't really know like what's going to happen next. Right. But yeah, I mean, you get used to the basic functions of of your system. So you start to know how to troubleshoot your rig and you start to understand how all of the systems work together. And there's less question marks for sure. Um, But there's also just the same stuff you got to deal with. And so you start it starts to be habitual, right? It's like if you have to dump your tank every week, then that's just part of what you do. And if you do that for eight months, well, eight times four, you know what I mean? That's a lot of times to go and dump your tank. So it becomes by rote. And then you, the, the question marks are always like, well, where can I do that? And is it going to cost money? And how do I get there? And what will it look like when I get there? And will it be gross or not? How close can I get to the dump? You know, all of those kinds of things. Um, and it does lessen, I think, some of the anxiety, sure. And then also, I've just been in a sunny places, so I have more color. Because, right. like, I mean, this is the coldest, darkest place we've been, environmentally speaking. 
um, this whole journey because we've been in the south. I mean, d- during full summer, so it was like I mean I I'm brown, you know what mm-hmm. I mean, just from being exposed. And you're not, you know, you don't spend as much time in your house, right? Because you're in this rig that moves, and so really your focus becomes more about the external world, the outdoors, you mm-hmm. know. You just get a lot more outdoors living this lifestyle. There's only so much space inside. You know? You're shaking again. <laughs> Sorry. Well, I'll put it down. <laughs> Looks like there's an earthquake. <laughs> I was holding it with my hands, uh, with my tripod arms. You must be shaky. There you go. Uh, well, when you're holding the phone long ways with one hand. Right. <laughs> um, yeah, wow. So you don't know what – do you have a, like a – a plan for what's going to happen in six months from now? Or is it just, are you just kind of going, do you have like a long-term plan or are you just kind of just going for it? And just the, the plan is just what we're doing, which is like, you know, I, but mean, I mean, place to go, places to go, or do you know, do you know where you're going in, in the next six months or a year? We, or? Have, we have an obligation. So we've had very few obligations during most of this. One obligation was to get our residency by going to a place where you can be full time and get an address and get a driver's license. So Mm. we did that. So that was like the first six months led up to that. That was the end goal for that six months was we need residency so we can be citizens. (laughs) And so we did that. That was actually happened to be where we broke down too for the first time. Um, The next obligation was my parents 50th wedding anniversary, which was in New Mexico. So we had to be there. So there's these points in time where we have to be places. And then in the interim between those points in time, there, you know, it's kind of up to like, well, how long do we want to stay here and what are what's available to us here? And then, you know, when do we want to move on? So the next obligation isn't until February and that's in Louisiana. And we're going to actually go and play camp host for two weeks at a park that we've become friends with the camp host and the people and the family there. So we call them our adopted Cajun family because they like fell in love with us. And so we, and, and us, them really. And so, you know, we've met their whole family and they're amazing, you know, Southwestern Louisiana people, which if you kind of get to know that area, the Eastern side is more kind of Creole and the Western side, Southern along the coast is Cajun. That's how mm. they, they oh, identify. Yeah, they're actually the the culture there originally came from the Acadians, which were French Canadians that were actually excommunicated from Canada and eventually migrated down to that particular area. Hmm. And so they slowly over time, it became this culture of Cajuns. And uh, so that's what it is. So we're going to go down there in February and watch this camp uh, for them while they're off doing their their recreational thing. And so that's kind of our next obligation. So. There is another point where we have to be at a certain point in time, <laughs> mm-hmm. but then there's the time between here and there, you know, October, November, December, January. And so that is more the kind of up in the air part where it's like, well, <laughs> right now we've been invited to stay here and I've met this cool guy who does craft brewing and he's teaching me how to brew and I'm documenting his brewing process <laughs> and he's into disc golf. So we're going and doing disc golf and his wife also has a place here in Brookings called First Rise Bakery. And First Rise Bakery is a startup that they created originally here in this house as a commercial endeavor. And then they got a storefront oh, and nice. they're building up this business. And so they're entrepreneurs. Um, they're you know indies just like us. 
And so in the process of work camping under these circumstances, unlike North Carolina, where we were doing hard labor here, what we're doing is more consultation. So I, they're putting us up on their property. We're hanging out. We have electricity and water. We have cool friends we're, we're learning about. But in the meantime, I'm doing consultation with First Rise Bakery on how to handle their social media, mm. marketing and advertising, potential crowdfunding opportunities, best practices, things like that. And so I'm providing assistance in that and then also working with Sean on, you know, how to order the development of his pursuits, be it his craft brewing or his interest in taking this plot of land where we're currently work camping and developing it into an Airbnb situation where he can start to, uh, you know, basically capitalize on current space they already have here in what they call the gully. And I call it gnome gully personally because there's gnomes here. But uh, <laughs> he's, you know, he wants to create a cool little landing spot where people could pay and come and have this weekend experience, whether they drive in in their own rig or they tent camp or they take advantage of the existing facilities that he's going to create up there for people to be able to just drive in and have a place to sleep and stay that's like five miles from the ocean here in this beautiful quadrant of the world. So that's been kind of the gig here. And each mm. place we go, it's a different gig. You know, sometimes we're on respite and we're taking a two-week break from people and going to some remote spot where, like Echo Amphitheater, we can just like, and breathe for a minute or we're staying at someone like chris haas's house and hanging out with this cool dark artist whom we all love and who's our good friend and you know joy's doing their greenhouse and doing uh domestic duties and i'm scooping dog poop and you know we're <laughs> hanging out and, and pitching in what work we can in order to be around our friends and, and have good times and all throughout it i got to work just like i did at my house so right. whether i'm in, in an rv parked at Chris Haas's or Leonard Farm in North Carolina or Sean McKinney in Oregon, the truth is, is I still have to sit down every day and get my phone out and get my computer out and work with my clients and run Kickstarters. And that's been a big learning curve. You know, I ran two Kickstarters this year from the first time from an RV traveling all the oh, time, really? you know. So that was a whole new experience, you know, running Gabe Leonard's Kickstarter and then running the Kickstarter for Rafi and Tootie, also known as Extra Crunchy. And they did the Atomix Kickstarter. And, you know, doing that from an RV where you're traveling and you're, you know, let's say you can only be at a campground for two weeks. You're going to have to move, but you're in the middle of a Kickstarter. So you got to right. coordinate that so you can still operate and function within the capacities that, you know, you, you do and are. So, yeah, it's been a big learning curve trying to figure out, you know, how do I do art? How do I do my wards? What's the right. best space inside or outside, you know? And all of that has been just, a, again, a kind of a major reorganization of our existing business structure but also having that presence on the ground where you can sell wards at a campground to people that are around you or you can meet someone who all of a sudden you're providing them services that they need in turn for a place to live, you know, and as in so far as a, a spot to dock, you know, because mm -hmm. we obviously have a house to live in wherever we're at, whether we're in a Cracker Barrel parking lot or, you know, maybe yeah, it's, it's, we're on someone's property. It's very post post apocalyptic. <laughs> so like, that must turn your top <laughs> well it just the idea that you're just kind of i don't know like you know it's kind of mad maxi in a way where you're just kind of like on the road and it's about getting resources and taking care of your vehicle and uh fight bartering with people you know yep. it's totally reminds me of that kind of you know mad max is not a good analogy but you know you know what i'm that. saying <laughs> yeah yeah it, it feels that way i won't lie it does yeah it's like you know you're you're much closer to the bone all the time it's not like you know there's there's no extra 
It, there's right. no fluff. I mean, even by just necessity of the space, you can only have so many things. If I get a new shirt, an old shirt's got to go. There's only so many space for folded shirts. You know? <laughs> and the, are the dogs enjoying it? The dogs love it. I mean, the dogs are, really? as far as I can tell, in seventh heaven. Yeah, because they have their, you know, dogs are pack animals. So they have their den, and no one goes in it but us. So it's their special den, you know, and it's right. nice and tight, and it has all the things they might want. But then they're constantly with us. You know, they get to go everywhere we go. They get to see all the things we get to see. When we're driving, you know, let's say you chart an eight-hour course. Well, it's going to take us ten and a half hours because there's going to be two and a half hours worth of stopping and walking dogs and dealing with dog needs. You know what I mean? So the trips become longer not only because you're driving a huge weight of 19,900 pounds at 46 feet with the fulcrum point 29 feet back. That's a – that's a heavy load. And so you're not driving 85, you know, you're driving <laughs> 65, you know, and then you got to stop and walk the dog. So they just get to be involved in everything, you know, and they get walks like, you know, eight times a day. I mean, what dog wouldn't love to get walked eight times a day in a place with all new smells? Like, right. oh my God, there's all the smells. This is amazing, you know? Yeah. So they seem really happy. I would say the one dark aspect of it. Um, is that Tula is just getting old and oh, right. she's having problems as an old dog. So she's had a lot of seizure disorder problems on this trip. Um, she's got a tumor growing on her leg that's pretty sizable. She's had some trouble with her kidneys. Oh. Um, so that's that's a struggle because that changes what you know your dog dies and you, you live in a house where so you go and, you know, bury your dog in your yard or you get your dog cremated or you do what you do. But if you're living on the road and you're in your 23rd state in nine months, then, you know, all of a sudden, what do you do? And what if you're in a boondocking stretch getting between point A and point B? And now it's like, am I going to bury my dog oh, roadside? God. I mean, yeah. what do you do, you know? So we've had a lot of conversations about that. It requires a lot more uh, conversations about mortality. And then you're also in circumstances like – in South Dakota and Arkansas, where we're all of a sudden there's tornadoes that are like eight miles away from us and about to like hit us. And Joy's filming like eyes up in the sky beginning like near us, you oh know, and all of a sudden you feel like you're in a tin can because it's like a tree could fall on you and your whole world is now devastated, yeah. you know. And so you're really at the whim of nature in a way that you – but at the same time, you also can pack up and leave anytime. So right. then there's that as well. But then you're driving through a tornado. What's better? Mm, you yeah, know? So a there's a, there is a lot of kind of intensity surrounding the whole entire endeavor. And also just like you're in a campground. You wake up in the morning. You, have, you don't have your contacts in. You haven't had your coffee. The dog's got to go potty. You walk out the door, and there may be 15 strangers right there. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? And you got to all of a sudden interface with 15 strangers when you can't see. You know, you have no caffeine. You just woke <laughs> up. You feel like garbage. Your dog's pulling on the leash like a maniac. There might be other dogs there. So it really requires a person that is willing to subject themselves to changing circumstances in a fashion that, um, you know, you have no control over your those things. And, and you have to kind of surrender a lot. There's a lot of surrender involved in doing this. I mean, speaking of greater reflections of the overall experience. Right. You know. Yeah, I, I hate to bring this up because I told myself I was not going to keep bringing this up. Everybody knows who's heard the podcast. I've been bringing up magic like almost every episode for the last five <laughs> or six episodes because it's like I'm really into it right now. I'm practicing and stuff. And, um, but I have to bring it up because 
it it reminds me the lifestyle it's very in line with uh, a lot of the principles of chaos magic where mm-hmm. where uh, a lot of the, some of the principles are of, of that are, are like you know changing your situation you know living one year spending a year of your life and living it as a fundamentalist christian and then right. and then living your life another year as like a satanist and then doing it mm-hmm. as like a as a hindu it just as a mm-hmm. as a way of uh loosening the the hold of the of of your ego basically like um sure. you know like uh keeping it uh, keeping your your personality and your ego flexible and changing mm-hmm. all the time as as a, as mm-hmm. cuz you know ultimately all, all of that magic spirituality is about um uh uh you know becoming enlightened and and basically letting go letting go of your ego and and uh realizing your divinity and all that stuff but it's right. so, it's it reminds me of that just in the sense that you have to you have to meet totally different types of people all the time be in different environments all the time you know <clears throat> so so I, I do have to bring it up i had to bring it up one more time and then i won't bring well, it up I, for I, another I few episodes <laughs> i think it's true it's absolutely true there's no doubt about it have you had any uh, weird you know oh go ahead what was that no go ahead go ahead no, i'll you... ask you after you can ask me now. Well, I was just going to say, have you had any, how, how is, have you been so busy just living? Have you had any weird, weirdness happen? Like the spiritual, the weird stuff that you used to always have weird shit happen to you. So dude, it happens so much more now. Oh really? Like, it, it's, oh yeah. It's so ridiculous. The number of synchronicities in a day, it, it's just like, it's stupefying. It, it's, it, it really is. Like if you're paying attention to it, which you kind of can't help but pay attention a lot, mm-hmm. very cl- you know, closely to what's happening because you, you know, again, like I, Joy and I have this mantra we say to ourselves when we move into a new place that evening, we'll be outside having a cigarette and we'll both look at each other and say, this is a new front yard. Mm-hmm. Because the thing is, is if you don't say that you're going to walk into something sharp, you're going to step in a hole and break your ankle, you're going to beam your head on some post you didn't know right. was there because you just take, you know, again, it, the inside's the same. You step outside, you've gotten new. Let's say you were at a place for three weeks. Well, you got pretty used to that front yard, but then you'll forget that you're in a, a straight brand new front yard and you'll, you'll start to think, oh, well, you know, I, I scanned this area when I came in, you know. But you'll, the universe is quick to remind you that you do are not all aware and that you did not scan it properly. Right. And so you have to really be like tentative when you first get to a place like, oh, wait, this is a new front yard. Okay, I need to walk carefully. I need to really pay attention to the way my feet are on the ground and the intonations to the ground. And so it requires that you kind of engage your senses in a, a more holistic way and immediately. And so I think you're, uh, there is a certain level of being a little more tuned in and then ultimately just seeing more of the synchronicities that are there anyway, whether we're aware of them or not. And, you know, sometimes those are really negative ones. And you're like, OK, I need something needs to change here because these things are lining up. I mean, synchronistically, sure, but um, unpleasantly, definitely. Really? You like, know? What, what um, kind of, do you have any examples of stuff that's happened that have been that's been kind of crazy or, or can you think of any off the top of your head or? Well, I mean, I, I don't know if this one's crazy, but this is this is the most one of the most recent ones. I'm reading right now. I had just reread the Stephen King book on writing, which I've read. I've oh, read yeah. that book probably I don't know five times. It's kind of dumb, but I love the book. It's a great and book. Been I love that since book. Since I read it, yeah, it makes and me so, want to write. Even, <laughs> well, and even if you're you you just like 
writers. I mean, it's, mm-hmm. I don't even it's think you yeah. want to be a writer to enjoy it. That's even if true. you're just like Stephen King, I would say. Yeah, it's just interesting. Because it's autobiographical in nature. You get to learn a little more about King than you would you wouldn't otherwise. Yeah, yeah. Um, but anyway, in it, he referenced The Dead Zone. And I have never read The Dead Zone. So I was like, you know, I need to read The Dead Zone. I know, I haven't well, either. And I was just watching the movie. Sorry to interrupt. But I just watched yeah. that movie the other day. And, it, and, and I have been recommending it to all these friends of mine that have either mm-hmm. haven't seen it or haven't seen it since it first came out it's such a it's like one of the best movies ever it's so good it's, it's been a long time since i've seen it it's actually, amazing it's it. kind of perfect it's really like a perfect film but and then it but it got me thinking i had to read the book because i'm sure the book is even way better well know? there's an interesting synchronicity right there spinning off the one i'm telling because <laughs> of your experiences recently with the dead zone so that's right. odd but uh I was reading on writing when we were up in El Rito in New Mexico, which again is a BLM, Bureau of Land Management, and or no, it's Carson National Forest. Actually, I take it back. And it was a boondocking spot. It was a spot we stayed at four separate times for a single night, a time while we were in New Mexico because we were kind of like traveling around. Like we had a friend who was like, "Oh, you can come down to the Pecos Wilderness and stay here on my property." Okay, we did that for a couple weeks. We had dumped the tank, so as we pulled out, we realized we're not trying to drive back into that. That was, like, hard to get into, and it was even harder to get out of. So I'm like, nah, forget yeah. that. So then we would, like, well, where do we go? Well, let's go back to El Rito for tonight and make a decision from there. So off we'd go to El Rito. That was the night we boogied – actually, the same place we boogied to from Echo Amphitheater, the night that we got freaked out or mm. I got freaked out and we left. We went to El Rito, and it was, like, a safe spot where no one was there. We felt really comfortable. It was really quiet, way out in the woods. So we went back four separate times. So anyway, on our fourth stay, right before we left New Mexico, I was reading on writing, and I was like, I should really read The Dead Zone. And then I thought to myself, well, you know, if it's meant to come to me, it's just going to show up. So interestingly, the next day we decided not to leave, and instead we decided to get all our laundry done and not pack up, stay one more night where we were at, and go to town and get some stuff we needed. Well, while I was in town, I remembered, hey, when we sold the house, I turned in all my books at Book Mountain, which is like a real old school secondhand bookstore that still exists. I have like $200 worth of book credit at this store. Oh, really? I need books. Like we don't have any. You know, there's only so much space. So you like read up the books you have and then you got to get books to replace those ones and you get get a tablet eventually. And yeah, seriously, you're right. Books, you know. Anyway, so I went to Book Mountain and I was like, oh, I'll get, you know, I'll get five or six books. You know, I have credit. We happen to be in Santa Fe. I happen to have the stupid amount of credit at this bookstore. So I'm looking around. What do I find? I find Dead Zone. And they had only like four Stephen King books at this whole place. One of them happens to be The Dead Zone. Oh, really? So like, yeah. So I get The Dead Zone. I start reading it. That's a pretty good I'm one. Going, I'm going – I'm reading it on the travel here. We get here and then Sean asks me, hey, the, uh, you know, on said morning, would you be interested in going with me from here up to Medford, which is like three hours away? I've got a doctor's appointment and I was thinking maybe you could help out and go run some errands for his wife's bakery. So I'm mm-hmm. like, yeah, Sure. So I went with him. I ride up there. We left her at like 5.30 in the morning. We get there at 8.30. And in the book, this woman, one of the main characters, Sarah, she has just met this guy who she's going to get married with. And his last name is Hazlitt. And he works as a lawyer with associates. And I'm driving. I just dropped off Sean. And I'm headed over to go get the, the groceries. And I just read this passage the night before out of the dead zone, which already tied back to this other set of synchronicities. And I'm driving down the road, and I look to the right at this stoplight, and I'm overcome with this sign that says Hazlitt and Associates, spelled exactly the no same way. H-A-Z-L-E-T-T and Associates, 
right there in Medford, Oregon, where I just happened to be. And I'm driving this guy's truck. Wow. I've only known this guy for like a handful of days. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's so weird. The kind of situations you get into where you're like, I don't know this guy. He doesn't know me. I'm on his property. <laughs> I'm driving his truck. He's at a doctor's appointment. I'm like, what is going on here? You know, I'm headed over to, to uh, what was it, Winco to go and get bulk items. And I look over and it's Hazlitt and Associates. And right then it's just like, okay, I'm in the right place. Everything I'm doing is perfectly on par and cue. And then later as we're driving back, I see a sign for the house of mystery, the Oregon Vortex. Yeah, I saw that on your Patreon. What was that? I saw that on your Patreon. (laughs) Yeah, and so I, and Joy and I had seen it on the way over. But we were so burnt out from that drive that we were like, we're not trying to pull into some random tourist attraction right now. We need to get where we're going. And it was pouring rain too, like hard, hard rain. And we had to come down a serious pass because when you come from Grants Pass down to the coast, it's like a, you know, 6% grade on huge windy turns and rocks are literally falling off the cliff into the road in front of you because it's raining, like boulders and stuff. And you're dodging them in your rig. And you'd already come down three passes that day that were even higher, like some crazy stuff. So we go, Joy and I are like, no, we're not stopping. Well, then Sean and I are driving back. And I told him about the Hazlitt and Associates thing. And then I was like, yeah, so I've been kind of paying attention to signs. And I was like, speaking of signs, what's the whole thing with the the House of Mystery? He's like, I don't know, man. I've never been there. And he's like, you want to go? And we're already driven past the exit. And I was like. Well, I'm supposed to be paying attention to signs today, so yeah, let's go. So we just like turned around and went back over there and went to that whole place, which is like I never would have had that experience. Right. And it was that was I mean it was a trip. A lot of it was like you know definitely like optical illusiony type stuff, yeah. but there was a vibe there for sure. There's no question that like somebody felt the vibe and then capitalized on it by right. utilizing you know optical illusions. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So it was cool. I mean, don't get me wrong. It's like if if you could suspend your disbelief long enough to see the golf ball roll uphill and you're like, whoa, that ball, golf ball just rolled uphill four times, <laughs> then, you know, that's that's a fun day, right? Yeah, right. Now, when your tour guide takes the level and puts it on the, the thing that the golf ball just rolled up and then shows you that it's actually not level and it rolled uphill because even though it looks like it's pointing uphill, it's actually pointing downhill. Right. That kind of ruins the whole thing. <laughs> they, they could modify their tour for, for sure. Right. Like I left there thinking, dude, someone like Rick Gallagher should come to a place like this and pretend and, and basically uh, be a person actor for the guy who was the scientist that developed right. it in the 20s. Yeah. Then it would be like really cool. Like, ooh, Andrew Lister is going to show me his amazing pendulums and, <laughs> you know, all of his curios and oddities of the Oregon Vortex and like old timey 20s suit and stuff. Right. Then it would be easier to buy what they're selling. But when it's just some random hipster, it doesn't necessarily yeah. cut the cake, you know. <laughs> Especially when they blow it with the level. Like, you can use the level in any other gag in the whole place and it would work, but that's the one spot right. you don't want to use it. You know? <laughs> well, but again, a... that was this whole chain of synchronicities that, again, maybe just to the, uh, you know, the the casual onlooker, well, okay, who knows, whatever coincidence, does it matter? Am I drawing conclusions between things that someone might not? Sure. But that's the nature of synchronicity, right? Yeah, <laughs> you know, right. is that it has pertinence to you and you see the alignments as they're occurring, whether they're bad or they're good, you know? Right. right. Have you had any bad synchronicities? I can't think of any off the top of my head, but I know we have. Like, I, I guess if I think hard enough, I would say Big Sue, um, a recreation where we broke down for the first time uh-huh. because on the way up, we were driving through Missouri 
And I was, I really felt like, what is up with the rig? Like, it's not, it's not grabbing the way it needs to grab and I'm losing speed on hills, you know? And mm. I was, and again, they were steep hills. There was a long succession of them, you know, there was a lot of drag and we got to that park late at night and it was closed and we had to register online and pay this exorbitant fee. And we were just feeling like real iffy about the whole thing. Like, mm. you know? We'd never been down in the park, but we had to pay before we drove in online. And I'm talking to this person on the phone, and it's real kind of like, yeah, you know. And then we drive down in there, and we pull into the spot. We stay for a night, but there's no water right away. And we're like, no water hookup. We haven't been to a park without a water hookup. That's a little weird, you know. Well, we were only there just to go get our address changed and get driver's licenses. So we figured that it was just going to be like, you know, a short stay. But everything was kind of leading us towards like, you guys might be stuck here. Like hmm. it just felt that way. Like it felt like we were going down into some kind of a spot where like we, maybe we should, if we just drove on to the next park, it's another 25 miles <laughs> down the road, you know that, but we both were like, no, we've been driving a long time. We drove through flood zones where, you know, in, in Hamburg, Iowa, where all of the fields are ruined for 150 miles of corn because of all this flooding off the Missouri River base and like major catastrophes. We drove through huge catastrophes that day. We showed up with so many mosquitoes on the front of the rig that it looked like a rug. It was oh like my God. mosquito hair, like on the whole front of the rig. It was so disgusting. So we get there, we wake up in the morning. And I'm like, okay, I got to hitch up the trailer because we dropped the trailer in the grass. You're not even supposed to drop it there. So I went to pull out and I pull across perpendicular to the back end and the rig shudders to a stop. And I'm like, oh, man, like this isn't good. So I go to try it again. Nothing. We check the battery. It's not the battery. We check the gas. There's plenty of gas. We're like, oh, no, man. We're like stuck blocking a spot that's reserved already for tonight. Oh, We're supposed to leave. Our trailer's stuck in the grass. And now here we are, and we can't get the rig started. And then, lo and behold, people start kind of ambling by because they see your hood open. Oh, hey, what's going on over here? Oh, well, we're not sure. I don't really know what's going on. And now I'm having to accept help from strangers, which, like, the universe, of course, would do that to me because I hate that more than anything. I hate accepting help. Like, I'm independent. I can do anything I want myself, right? right. Oh, no, no, sir. <laughs> That's not the way it's going to work this time. No. <laughs> So lo and behold, oh, well, you know, this guy comes by. Maybe it's the fuel pump. Now more people are showing up. Now I have a crowd of like eight people. Oh, my the God. Camp posts, <laughs> a random jogger. They're all standing around trying to help, you know, and you're like, and that was when I just realized, okay, I need to surrender to what's happening yeah. right here and now. Because clearly, as evidenced by the whole entire trail that led from Arkansas, we left that day. The day after I, I finished the Kickstarter for Adamix, we we successfully finished it we were like okay we'd stop there for three days to finish it now let's move on it was this long rough road to get there we get there we don't feel good about it now we feel like we're gonna get stuck there well now we're stuck there all right so i'm running around i go and i buy a new fuel pump these guys are no i'm sorry a fuel filter rather these guys get under my rig they put a new fuel filter in for us just out of the kindness of their hearts they're giving us beers to drink oh you guys probably need a beer they're (laughs) south dakotans they're like do you need a sammy can make you sammy everyone's so friendly it's like amazing what you that's one thing i can say it's kind of an aside or a tangent but what i found is that going through 18 states in eight months 95 percent of people are good you know strong-hearted caring individuals that regardless of their beliefs or their ideas or their you know their uh their proclivities whatever it is that they that they hold true 
there's a common element of human decency in the vast majority of the people in the United States of America. I can say that for myself definitively after this this experience because wow. we have really ran into such a small amount of negative uh, experiences with people doing bad things and being bad people that it's almost insurmountable the amount uh, uh, in comparison to how many people are just good-hearted people. And wow. this was the That's same good. case, man. These people are like, let me fix your fuel. Oh, well, let's call your fuel pump. What else can we do for you? I'm like, well, I got some things. I got a couple firearms I'd like to sell. Well, let me see if I can meet up some with some of my hunting friends. They might want to buy them, you know. Everyone's helping you. This guy's going to take the hitch off your rig, put it on his truck to move your trailer to the camp host spot. They're going to hold it there for you for six days while you're then getting towed out of this place to go and get your rig fixed. All these people are just helping you. And so it was kind of, again, I say negative synchronicities because it was apparent to me that something catastrophic was about to occur. As much as I rallied against it, the catastrophic thing happened. But I was open to the what was going on and how it was going on and surrendering to the fact that these things were far beyond my control. Mm. So we go to the place. It turns out our fuel pump had died. The reason the fuel pump had died was because there were gaskets that were eroding inside of this rig into the gasoline, which were creating particulate, which gummed oh, wow. up the whole works. So it was inevitable. It was going to happen. The fact that it didn't happen on the side of the freeway in – you know, the, the catastrophe zone of Hamburg, Iowa right. tells you that we must be doing something right. You know, the fact that it happened at a park that was safe where they were then able to give us that spot, despite the fact that it was reserved, despite the fact that we had to sit there on a weekend where there were 56 spots reserved and families going by in front of us looking at the weird New Mexicans parked wrong with their front porch on the edge of the road. You know what I mean? <laughs> Get through all that, you know, boondock at the Boyer Ford parking lot for however many days. Find out that you're not going to be able to get back in the rig again because they have the gas tank off and it's stuck on the lift. Rent a hotel room. Take your dogs to the hotel room. Then have a tornado hit town and flood the area so bad that you wake up in the morning to six inches of water on the floor of your hotel room pouring through the wall, soaking all of your belongings. You know, this whole endless array of what would appear on the surface to be misfortune that ultimately probably saved us from – really bad things that could have happened to us had that fuel pump broke down when we were leaving that place or when we were coming into that place, you know? So again, there were a lot of signs along the way that like, uh, I don't know about this, but we got to do it. We got to go through it. And what I came away with was feeling fortunate that people are as helpful and caring and giving. And now I have random friends from South Dakota that I send videos and images to that helped save our asses when we were stuck in that park and made us feel welcome and, you know, helped us through that situation. So, you know, it's it's kind of incredible that most of the negative synchronicities at the end of the day, when you reconcile them, end up being positive, you yeah. know, if you're looking at it through the right filter. And that was what Bill kept saying. Bill Harmon, he was the guy that we met there. He was a real sweet dude. And his buddy came over with scanning the engine with his Bluetooth thing because he was a mechanic and they're wow. doing everything they can to try to help us. And Bill's like, I just don't know how you're staying so calm throughout this, man. I'd be kicking things and breaking stuff and making more problems for myself. And I was like, you know, the thing is, it's like I have a choice about my attitude. I may not have any choices about the fuel pump or the fuel filter or being stuck at Big Sioux or sleeping in the Boyer Ford parking lot or my hotel room getting flooded. But I certainly have some choice about my attitude in regards to those occurrences and whether I want to be miserable about it or I want to try to laugh about it and say, you know, All of this is happening for a reason. I may not know what the reason is, but there certainly is one because all the synchronicities have shown me that this is aligned in a way that would be impossible statistically speaking. (laughs) You know what I mean? 
So, you know, again, it's that's kind of the wild experience of all this is just that whole process of like, what's going to happen next, you know, and you can be scared about it or you can be excited. And either way, it's going to go the way it's going to go. And you're just along for the ride. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Wow. Well, it sounds like it's a, it's a, it's a, it's all about letting go. It is the whole thing. Really the over overarching theme of your journey has been letting go. It seems like from letting go of the house and all the shit you had in the house and, yep. you know, your way of life and, and now life on the road. It's like, you got to constantly let go and let it happen. Well, you're always leaving. I mean, that's the thing about this lifestyle. You're always leaving and you're always arriving too. Yeah. And so it's a weird <laughs> and thing. And you're also you going know? nowhere in a way too, because you're just like oh, yeah. kind of driving around. It's, it's a yeah. trip. It is a trip. And, and like right now we're starting to get to that point where we've never stayed anywhere longer than five weeks. That's been the longest. Mm. And the shortest we've ever stayed anywhere was 12 hours. Wow. No, no, no. I take it back four and a half hours in a Cracker Barrel parking lot. <laughs> but nevertheless, mostly it's been between two weeks, which is when most parks will kick you out <laughs> mm-hmm. and uh, five weeks where most, most of the time you're at a place and you want to leave while people still like you, so they want to have you back. And you know, you start to feel like maybe five weeks is a good timeline to excuse ourselves, so that they're still stoked on us. Because maybe if we stay six weeks, they might be like, you know, these people are a little bit overwhelming, right. and uh, you know. Right. But we have we we've only come away with generating these amazing, cool connections with people, which has been even weird people that you never would have been friends with otherwise, like. The kind of people that I met down in the South, man, you're like, you just have to put on the side that you have certain feelings about like racism, for instance, um, (laughs) if you're going to actually enjoy that human being, because there is just a lot of racism. And so you could try to go around telling everybody not to be racist, but they're raised in this racist world and that's what they think. And if you can just ignore that part and they can ignore the fact that you're not racist, you could just have a good human experience together. It's kind of incredible how well people get along when they just put aside these things that are actually relatively immaterial, they have, they're more thoughts than they are uh, actions. Because I never saw anyone who spoke racistly behave in a, re- a racist fashion. Hmm. So it's more what they think and less what they do. And so it's weird because, you know, again, it has opened you, me and Joy, I think for sure, up to accepting, like you said, a lot more. I, I'm far less judgmental, I'm far more accepting. Um, and I, I feel like there's an enrichment that goes on in the process of being exposed to so many different types of people and so many different types of cultures and food and ways of life and ways of thinking. And, you know, it's it's really, I would say it's profoundly enlightening. At the mm. end of the day, I, I feel like, man, I don't know how I'm going to put words to this, <laughs> you know. I mean, I can do my travel logs for patrons, and I do, you know, and they can read about it. They can see the images. They can watch the videos, they can buy the artwork that I'm making with items from the places, all this stuff. But at the end of the day, there's a book percolating in there that's a little, you know, more finely woven um, that I have yet to understand the warp and weave of, Mm. (laughs) you know, because it's all just happening and it's all very immediate. It's like, we got to do laundry today. Well, that's a four hour endeavor when you got to go to a laundromat, <laughs> you know, and you're going to meet all kinds of interesting people in that laundromat. I promise you, right. you know, and the whole time you're working. So it's like, you got your, you know, it's like, okay, I have an hour and a half here where I can like do some work. I've got Wi-Fi, bitching, you know, doing some work. 
And then you got these random people that you're talking with and they're asking you questions and you're doing laundry and, you know, there's the homeless dude out front that you give a buck to and then you're talking with him and you know what I mean? It's so wild and, and, and so um, sensory overload right. that it's perfect for someone like me, you know? I mean, I again, if you don't like that kind of thing, beware of this type of lifestyle right. for yeah. sure. <laughs> but it's, it's funny because when we look back, like I think 10 years ago when Joy and I first wanted to do this before we ever moved to New Mexico. Yeah, I, wouldn't, I was we going to say, like, I wouldn't think Joy is, is like that. You're like that, but she seems like a lot more uh, – she likes to keep to herself and – but then that's not true. She used to go out dancing and stuff. And Yeah, it's a fine. It, it's funny how, you know, there are these characteristics about ourselves that we find we reaffirm in our own minds that ultimately, when placed under the right circumstances, fall flat on the face right. of this idea we have, you know, right. because and that's kind of why I say, like, we take uh, respite also, because there's times where, like, for instance, when we we left North Carolina, we'd been work camping for five weeks we were inundated with this family. I mean, we were on their property. Everything they did all day long had to do with us. Either I was babysitting Junie, their five-year-old daughter, and playing Sparkle Unicorn on the trampoline, or we were doing some physical labor, or we were eating dinner at their house, or you know whatever was going on. You're very much about that experience. When we left there, we were like, dude, let's go to the Okamulgee Wilderness that's like 45 minutes outside Tuscaloosa, Alabama, in the middle of the Talladega National Forest and do nothing but be by a lake where there's no one around for two weeks. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like mm. just get away from people, get away from all of the intensity of that and have a little bit of like a reconsolidation and a regrouping. You know, I was going into a Kickstarter at the time, so I wanted to build a focus on my clients. Joy and I needed to just kind of be like, wow, that North Carolina experience, that was wild. Mm. Let's, let's spend two weeks just kind of digesting that and focusing on the dogs and walking them and swimming in this lake and working for my clients and take it easy, you know? And so we have found ourselves again in the biorhythm, the natural biorhythm of everything, gravitating towards periods of respite between these periods of intensity where we're super saturated with people and places and right. travel and all of this, you know? Um, but what I was saying originally in regard to her and I and this whole thing is that 10 years ago before we left Washington, when we were trying to figure out what we were going to do next at that stage, kind of equivalent to when we sold our house in New Mexico, but 10 years earlier, we were like, we want to go full-time RV. And that was like before we even moved to New Mexico, but we just didn't have the means to do it at that time. We hadn't invested in such a fashion as to have enough capital to invest in that type of a lifestyle. We couldn't afford an RV, you know? So we, we decided, well, let's move to New Mexico instead. We can rent in New Mexico just like we're renting here in Washington. So that was kind of that first upheaval where we were like, let's do something drastically different. Mm -hmm. And we've done this a lot. Joanne, yeah. I've done this four or five times in our life. But we still held on to this idea that someday we wanted to be full-time RV nomads and like do that. And the, the kind of the thesis at the center of all of that was this idea of making your life your work instead of working for your life. And it's kind of an archaic revival type thing with like the McKenna thing where it's like farmers. What do farmers do? Well, they go out and they produce this thing that they consume as well as barter for other things that then they can have so they can, you know, old timey speaking, that you can, your work is your life. What you do, the, the token you drop of effort you put into it every single day directly translates to the fruits of your labor almost directly, right? right? And so there's not as much of an intermediary. There's not as much of the, you know, needing to go and punch a time clock to put two weeks in to make a paycheck to then be able to afford 
the place you lived in for the two weeks you did the job, <laughs> you know, right. which is a little bit weird. That whole notion, I think we're all relatively uncomfortable with the dominant working thing and we all see flaws in it. So we always wanted to find a way to be able to not have to do that. And we thought, well, maybe RV Nomad thing would be that. And I'll tell you, it is. <laughs> and it's very real, you know, because what you make that day, whether you sell that item or it, whether you help a client properly for them to be interested in continuing to work with you or whether you do a good job work camping so the people that are putting you up want to keep you there or whatever it is that you're doing, it's all directly intertwined. Yeah. If you're documenting what you're doing to, to give to the people that are paying in order for you to do it, patrons in my case, whether they want to see the dark side or the light side or both, the reality is is that all of the stuff I'm doing that I'm documenting is all work because that's what I'm putting out to those people to keep them engaged and entertained and interested in what it is that our life is. And mm -hmm. so it, to me, there's a little the, – the, the membrane between those two worlds is thinner. And I feel more like, oh man, when I have a day where I got to move, you know, work and and hustle four different, you know, days in a row and cover all this mileage and drive down like, I mean, I didn't even tell you this story, dude, but it was like crazy. We took we took 140 through the top of Nevada, which I'm telling you is wastelands. Like you don't have a cell phone signal for almost two hours, wow. even with a booster. It is there's no one there. The wind is hitting the side of your rig at like 45 miles an hour. So you're just getting blown all over the place. You're at like almost 7,000 feet. And then all of a sudden you come up to this cliff and it says use low gears, 8% grade for eight miles. And you're like, oh my God. And the brakes on our rig are not good either. So we come up over this and we're looking down and you can like – you could see the valley below. It's blurry to your physical eye because it's so far down wow. and so far away that it actually appears blurry. And you're like, oh, man, you're going like first gear, 4,000 RPMs man, down the side of this oh hill at like 25 miles an hour trying not to touch your brakes. Oh and it's God. windy and it's one lane. Oh, and you're like, oh, and this is after you've been get, you know, broadside beaten by the wind in the wastelands of northern Nevada for like two and a half hours, 150 miles. You come down this pass, you make it to the bottom and you're like, oh, okay, all right, okay, we made it. And then you drive, let's say, 15 miles, and they hit you with another 7% for 10 miles. Oh and you're like, oh, my like, really? This is happening? How far up were we? You know what I mean? Yeah. And then you come down that one, and you start to see trees. And you're like, okay, we're, we're down to Timberline. We're actually out of, like, the high plateau. We're done with it. Oh, no, no. There's another 6% grade for 13 miles you're about to drive into. That day, dude, we dropped all the way almost to sea level from 7,000 feet and in gigantic fast blocks of it where you're right. like, bam, 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 you know? And you get a real sense of it. Like, you could feel it. Like, the engine starts running differently. You can feel it in your head and in your body. It was kind of like coming up from sea level to Colorado to, uh, right. to Denver. All of a sudden, the engine feels weird, and you feel like you're floating. You're like, whoa, and you feel like your head's like a helium balloon that's like rising. You can really feel it autonomically and in your body. It's so strange. And then also, it's just terrifying at times because you're like, again, your brakes aren't good. You're trying to use your gears. Your RPMs are out the roof. You know, your engine's super loud. You, it's everything you own. It's, uh, you know, and it's right. intense. It's like crazy, crazy intense. But again, I'm documenting it. I'm letting people see that. I'm sharing it with people. They're engaged in it. They, they're consuming it. 
it's fun even though it's terrifying so again it's like that that membrane between working for my life or my life being my work has shifted and so it's it's just a, again I, I don't know that i necessarily even have the words yet formulated to talk about it but that's how that's the best way of describing it is this very intense guttural um primal experience right. you know it's it's wild man and it's so fun but again it's also hard because you know how it is when you're in your house if you get sick then it's like you have your house it's right. like your house is traveling and you get sick you got to deal with that it's a small space yeah, the bathroom's yeah. right there your bedroom's right there your dogs get sick you got to deal with that yeah. or let's say you you know you're having a rough time uh, uh selling your merch or let's say you haven't you don't have enough clients right now for whatever reason and then as you start to have those money pressures it's not like you just have this house that you're like well you know as long as i pay my mortgage sometime in the next three months they won't repo it it's like well i own this house and no one can take it from me but it also is wherever it is so if i run out of resources and i'm stuck somewhere i'm yeah. like really stuck wherever it stopped you know <laughs> and never more clear was that than big sue where you break down and now you got to get it towed and now you mm. got to come up with the money to get it fixed and maybe that was your whole paycheck and now you're like whoa what do i do now and you really at least for me i've become so incredibly appreciative for the people that are supporting us and that are collecting our art or that are hiring us to help them make money or to run their business better or people that are letting us camp on their property in trade for work or or my patrons i mean dude at the end of the month when my patron money comes through i'm like thank you so much patrons like you just you, you i i couldn't do it without you and it's literally that and so that is like there's a level of reverence and appreciation that I have that is huge for the people that contribute and believe in what we're doing and want to support it, including our sponsors. I mean, we just picked up uh, John Korea. He's Picks by Twigs, if you want to look him up on, on Facebook. And he's a, he's one of our sponsors. And it's like this guy is is willing to put down money to support what we're doing so that we can hand out his business cards and hand out his stickers and put him in the credits of our videos and try to pump him and while he's pumping us and it's again it's like a barter thing like you said and it's very it feels very uh primal and it feels very real and it, it feels like an even exchange um which is different than maybe some of the other ways i've lived in the past and so it's gratifying but it, it also is like i said before incredibly challenging yeah well you could you know the the, the thing that trips me out is thinking okay where where Where's Mike going to be in 10 years? And it's like, <laughs> you could still be on the road. You could have settled in a spot and bought a house yep. and have some successful business by then. Who knows? And it's and it seems like that you're kind of living this uh, uncertain life. But really, everybody's living that life. They just yes, don't know exactly. it. <laughs> you know, because anything yep. could happen to any of us. We could have a catastrophic medical bill or illness and not have insurance yep. or you, who know a tornado comes and destroys your house blah 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 or right. you know someone gives you a bunch of money and wants you to start a business who knows what all anything right. could happen so it's like everything's up in the air for everybody it's just that you know it more acutely i guess than most people since you're kind of living out on the road just that the lifestyle um, um reminds you of that more than people that are settled you know it does. Absolutely. I mean, especially like, let's say you're boondocking and it's really hot where you're at and you have three dogs inside and one of them reacts like Tula real negatively to heat and you need to run your Jenny 
so that you can run your air conditioner because the air conditioner won't right. run off 12 volt. So now you're running your Jenny, which is running off your gas tank. So you're thinking to yourself, you know, if things don't go well in the next week and I don't earn a little bit here, I'm going to drain my gas tank running my Jenny to keep us alive. And then I won't be able to drive away from here. <laughs> you know what I mean? And it's, that makes it very real. Yes. Yeah, all yeah. of a sudden you're like, whoa, okay. Because it's all finite, you know? And, and like you said, that's the difference is it's all finite whether you're in a house or right. not. It's just that the awareness of those things, whether it's the amount of water you're consuming, the amount of propane you're burning, the amount of gasoline that you're, you're using, or it's the amount of, waste product that you're dumping or the amount of garbage that you because when you're living this lifestyle you still got garbage bags of garbage you still got to deal with your bags of garbage but you can't just put them on the corner and have someone pick right. them up <laughs> so now you're much more responsible for what it is you put in there how much of it there is and how you utilize that garbage and where it goes you know and again it's i think that there's this infinite perception to a stick and brick world just by rote of that living because there is more distance between you and those resources. You pay your bill, but you're not, you know, I pay my bill every three days when I put resources in, you know, right. or every two weeks or whatever. You know, when you pay your bill and then you just have the thing for a month, you don't, you're not really thinking about it every time you flush. You're not really thinking about right. it every time you turn on your faucet. When you want hot water for a shower, you're not thinking, well, once I run out of propane, I'm going to have to put more propane in to run my hot water heater to have a hot shower, you know? So it's like you said, everything's closer. And so it kind of dismantles the illusion. Because like you said, we are all living with this illusion that like, well, I'm going to live to be 85 and I'm going to have all these experiences. The reality is any of us could have a brain aneurysm right now all of a sudden while recording a podcast or listening to a podcast and just be dead now or be infirmed to the point that now your family has to figure out how they're going to pay for these bills to deal with the, the stint they need to stick in your head, you know? Mm. So, I mean, again, whether, whether we're lulled into a sense of complacency and comfort – is really a matter of what we know about what we use and how that affects us and how quickly that could affect us in a profound life way, right. you know, in a way that affects your ability to actually eat food or, you know, uh, uh, make money. And, and we all have a little bit of space from that. But I think most people, even that are working hard and making good money, are still living paycheck to paycheck. Mm -hmm. So Everybody there's still this idea that, oh, man, in two weeks I'm going to get that paycheck. So it's cool if I go ahead and buy these things now. But the reality is any of us, even if we're punching that time clock, could not get a paycheck in two weeks for a lot of different reasons. Oh, yeah. You know? And then it still comes undone. And so at least I feel like you said, you know, the way this world is moving, I'd rather be mobile. I'd rather know that even if I'm broke down in a parking lot and I can't get out of there, I still have my house. No one could take it from me. Mm. I can still make it work, you know. I still have to hustle either way, whether I'm, you know, so – it, it is very near and very close, and I think it does raise your level of appreciation for just what it is that we have and the simple things in life. I mean, I'm stoked when I get a good meal. You know, right? Yeah, it's a reality. Yeah. I don't take that. I don't take it for granted. My refrigerator is only so big, right? My cabinets are only so large. There's only so much food I can put in them, and so when I get to eat one of those good three meals that I can actually fit in there. I'm stoked on that because I may be getting down to the box goods next, you know, before I'm going to be able to refill that, whether that's because of affording it or just getting to the grocery store to refill it, you know, because right. sometimes you're really far outside of anywhere and we tow a car so we could drive it in, 
But then, you know, that's fuel, that's resources, that's wear and tear, that's all the things. So when you're going to make a run, you better make that run worthwhile, especially if you're out in the middle of the wilderness yeah. and you're going to burn four hours of your day in the process. You know, again, your laundry stacks up. There's only so much space in there. It's, it's got to get cleaned. You're not going to just go into your foyer and throw it into the machine. Right, know? right. Have you, since you've been on the road, have you, have you considered any long-term plans? Like thought of something like, oh, I, you know, having that, I don't know, having this experience maybe got you thinking about something else or it's like, oh, I want to end up here or I want to, at this point, it'd be cool to do this or have this or. The long-term is to continue doing this. I, I, I have no qualms. I, I would not trade it for anything. I think it was the one of the best decisions I've ever made, life decisions that I've ever made, was to give up the house and the property and all of that to do this. I think it – so I just want to do this more. And I know Joy feels the same. We just want to do this more. Now, would I like to have, for instance, a rig that's equipped with solar – so that I can convert to a larger, you know, bank of batteries so that my imp my carbon imprint is less and I also have more range in my boondocking capabilities? Absolutely. Would I like to pull out the water toilet and put in a nature's head composting toilet so I can free up the black tank space for the batteries to run off of the solar unit? Absolutely, I would. You know, would I? There's a lot of things that I would want, but most of those directly play into my life living. You know, it's not like I want you know a big old class A rig that's like enormous that has an outdoor kitchen and two big screen TVs. No. I want to outfit the steamboat and the things that we have in such a fashion to be more versatile in the way we're living. I'd mm -hmm. like to be able to go out into the wilderness for two weeks and not plug in a single time or have to worry about dumping. I mean, how cool would it be to go to a place where there's no other human being and you can be out, excuse me, you could be out there and you don't have to leave for two weeks and you have everything you need all built into you know, what it is that you brought with you. To me, that's super exciting and engaging and wonderful and adventurous. You know what I mean? Right. And I, I'm an adventurer. And so that's what I want to do. But I'd like to have more of the amenities to be able to do it more successfully. Um, I also could see in the long run, you know, purchasing small quarter acre plots in favorite places that we've traveled through so that then you could have docking points. That'd Let's see cool. a quarter acre spot with a flat pad a water hookup an electric a 30 amp electric and maybe not even a dump maybe you know no not even worry about septic just have a water hookup and an electric and then you could drive into that spot any time of the year you could stay there for the best two weeks out of the year for let's say georgia mm -hmm. you know and then you could leave and if you had five of those throughout the united states not only could you use those as safe haven docking points but you could also airbnb those to other full-time rvers and you can set that up in such a fashion that then you're kind of it's not, you know, almost time sharing out. So it's paying for itself by rote of other people driving in and hooking up and staying there for however many days or weeks. But then having those spots that, you know, you can go to so that, you know, you're not always at the whim of wherever you happen to land or wherever ha you, you happen to be. Right. So there are definitely um long-term goals absolutely involved in all of it i mean i want to take all the content that i'm you know amassing and create a feature documentary film i'd like to do a photo journal book i'd like to write a novel about all of it and we're creating all the material to do that very thing now and amassing that as we go so there are like long-term plans 
in regard to that. And then there's ways we're incorporating our short-term plans into that, like Mysterian, for instance, that you know, where you you just finished doing the dice shaker in the box, which is so awesome, and they look amazing, by the way. And Neil Wynn's going to cast and mold those. We're getting excited to launch the next Mysterian, which is the gameplay aspect. Because once we had that deck in our hands, we were like, we we need to make the game out of this. So we've developed this whole game, and so we're spot testing it with people all across the United States. So for instance, we've been playing it here at the McKinney household, and. Their eight-year-old son loves it so much that every time I come over, he's like, can we play Mysterian? Can we play <laughs> Mysterian? I mean, you know you know you're doing all right if a 73-year-old person and an eight-year-old person both think it's an awesome game, right? Right. And so we're, we're utilizing the resources at our disposal also in such a fashion as to further develop these, these artistic endeavors, projects, inventions, concepts into full-fledged productions during the venture of working and living from the rv full time but i don't see an end in sight i don't neither of us are like oh well you know let's do this for another maybe year and then let's call it quits like check in with me in a year maybe i'll be saying that but eight months in i just want to do this more i think this is awesome and amazing and has opened me up in ways as a human and helped me heal in ways as a human that i don't think i could have ever done otherwise wow I mean, I'm talking a lot now because you got me on the podcast and I'm talking to one of my best friends, but Joy can attest to the fact that during this journey, I have been more quiet than she's ever seen me in 17 years. <laughs> wow. Seriously. <laughs> like when we go and we're, we socialize with people, I'm often the one that actually keeps my mouth shut wow. and just listens to them and engages with them uh, and absorbs what they're saying. I'll believe it when I see it for myself. I know. You, I knew you'd say that. The fact Just kidding, that I couldn't resist. To say that tells you something. <laughs> Do you hear that? Listen. It's absolutely true. <laughs> See? I believe See? you. I believe you. It's just hard to believe. It's all. Well, dude, I, it was hard for me to believe because it started happening automatically. It was a weird thing. Yeah, why like, did it happen? I wonder. I don't know. It's not. It wasn't. I didn't put forth a concerted effort. I wasn't like, I'm going to learn to shut my mouth. How can I learn anything if I don't keep my mouth shut and open my ears? You know, it wasn't like it was, you know, real definitive decision. I wasn't like, you know, I'm going to try this new listening thing. You know what I mean? It just developed and it developed almost overnight. Like the minute that we drove away, I, I, this, a shift happened. I can't even describe it like a paradigm shift. I wonder why that happened. That's so interesting. And if you were to ask people along the way, even here, because like Sean, the way that Sean found us was through the Dark Art Society podcast. Actually, I didn't I haven't told you this. So he discovered Bechinsky and was like, this artist is amazing. And through his research of Bechinsky, he found the Dark Art Society podcast. Oh, wow. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. Because we had done an episode on Bechinsky and you and I have done such a good job in such a fashion as to make it searchable. They he found it because he was looking up Bekshinsky and he That's was like, crazy. oh, well, there's a podcast they recorded about the guy. Hmm. So he <laughs> listened to it and became a fan of yours, started supporting your Patreon, started supporting both my Patreons, started buying work from you, started buying work from me. Yeah, I thought his name looked and, familiar. <clears throat> yeah, he's super cool dude, right? And there was a point to all of this. Oh, yeah. So Sean would even say it like I got here and he was like, it's real weird hanging out with you because I'm not like he's not like a, a weird fan, but he was like. I've heard your voice so much because he's listened to the whole thing uh-huh. that he's like, it's weird hearing your voice in person and you'll start telling a story and I'll be like, ah, I know that story. And then he'll be like, <laughs> oh, wait, he didn't tell me that story, you know. <laughs> but at one point in time, we were sitting on the porch talking, having some beers, some of his really good craft brew, actually. And 
and he's really into all kinds of cool uh, uh, stuff, druidism and all yeah, kinds cool. of really interesting uh, uh, stuff that, as an aside to that. And he was, you know, he looked at me and he was like, you know, Mike, it looks like you want to talk, but you're just like letting Joy and I do all the talking. <laughs> and he's like, I kind of want to hear what you have to say, too, about all this, you know. And I was like, well, I'm not trying to not talk. But I'm actually enjoying listening to your guys' conversation more than I'm not participating. So it's, you know, and that's maybe that's a good way of describing it is like I've really had an incredibly enjoyable time listening to people just say what they want to say, be who they are, you know, exhibit themselves naturally. It's been like hugely rewarding in a very strange way where I can't quite put my finger on why. So much so that I mostly, I mean, really, like I've been kind of quiet throughout hmm. all of this wow so of course now i'm unloading like it's a deluge of mic words <laughs> all upon you know the world of dark art society but i guess that's what a podcast is all about yeah that's funny yeah, interesting i've always been the the opposite like i uh, uh um it's been a struggle for me to speak up more just and talk in social situations i know i've always just been like you know keep my mouth shut i still feel that way like i should a lot of times but um <laughs> yeah that's interesting well i trust me i remember back to discussing doing the podcast with you and you being like i think it'd be really good for me to learn to talk more <laughs> yeah yeah it, it has been it's been i still struggle with it but but it's easier definitely easier well, and Sean mentioned you actually because he was talking about the podcast and how, of course, it's changed, you know, with not having me on it and then the format that you're using. And he, he's like, you know, Chad really has gotten good at talking. <laughs> he's like, because he's, he's listened to it since the, I mean, he didn't start right. listening to it when we started, but he has listened to the whole thing from the beginning. Mm-hmm. And he's like, you know, I remember that first episode, he was so nervous and, you know, he's having a really hard time. And, He's like, now he's just a natural. He's just got that format down and he goes right into it. He knows just what to do. And, you know, it all, it works flawlessly. And the people that he interviews are interesting and he, he oh, maintains cool. and entertains those conversations well. And that's cool. You know, so he's, he's been real impressed with the, the evolution of it. Well, thank you, Sean. I appreciate that. Yeah. There's a weird thing with, <clears throat> um, speaking, that you don't have this problem and I've always had this problem and it's like it's this kind of like uh, weird thing that happens when you allow yourself to speak freely it's like you have to allow it to happen you have to like let go and relax and allow it to just happen and not worry so much about what you're saying you know mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and then once you do it's kind of easy to speak to anybody because you just naturally do it but it's, I guess it's like a self-conscious thing, maybe. Yeah, like yeah. Self-consciousness, which you've never had that problem. <laughs> <laughs> and I always, uh, and Lisa's not like that either. She can talk to anybody at any time. And, and I just, I've always admired people that can do that easily. But it just goes to show that you can, you can develop skills that seem like impossible to develop, not, not natural yeah, you could, be, you could learn to be a good talker, and I could be learn to be a good right. Listener. Exactly, it's incredible. <laughs> it's a miracle. <laughs> yeah, wow. it, it's true though. I mean, I think you're right. I think you hit the nail on the head. I have one of the things that I don't know. Sometimes it feels well. Let's be honest. Most of the time, it feels like a curse. Sometimes when people point it out, it feels like a blessing. Mm. And that is 
a complete and utter lack of concern for what other people think about me. <laughs> you know? right. Most of the time it feels like a curse because I, after the fact, I go through all the things that have happened in yeah. my mind, like, you know, oh, retroactively. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, man, when I said that shit, that was like, that could have been considered really rude and offensive right. or like, you know, um, uh, really pedantic or whatever. And then, but, and so then I'll think about it later and be like, oh man, I hope I didn't make anybody feel bad when I was doing that. Right. But the thing is, is while it's happening, I don't think about it and I don't care either. And mm. so, which is, I mean, maybe that's sad, but it's true. And I'm just being honest. So, um, I end up, you know, in retrospect being like, man, you know, I hope I, I didn't hurt that person's feelings. So it feels a little cur- curse, you know, mm. like more like a curse, but joy points it out a lot because she's like, you just, she's like, you know, you have no, you could go out looking like whatever you, you could have bowling shoes on sleep pants that are rolled up over your knees, a black hoodie, a cowboy hat and polka dot socks and walk into a grocery store. And you just don't care at all. If anyone's looking at you, if they're talking <laughs> about you, if they're making faces, what they might think. That's at least the same way. It. It's like, she's she like kind of seems, sees it as like, you know, that's a cool thing. And I think the yeah, reality is, is, is the truth. There is a balance between any polar extreme right. and any polar extreme taken to its its extremity could be extremely bad or extremely good, depending upon the circumstances. Right. Could I learn to care more about what other people think about what I'm saying? Absolutely. Um, but do I naturally? No. Right. You know, and so again, for you, could you learn to care a little less about that? Right. Absolutely. But do you naturally do that? Well, no. Yeah, you right. know? yeah it's true. We all have things to learn. I mean, that's, I think, again, that's part of this. The fun thing about all this is like, I feel like, I really feel like a student of life, man. Like, you know, people say that in kind of a laissez faire way, like, oh, I'm a student of life. Mm-hmm. But I really feel like one doing this. Like, I mean, dude, well, I've, I've, school, I get my ass schooled all day long. You know? Yeah, that's what I, I got that from. Uh, I think it's traveling, traveling in general, whether you're in an RV or just traveling, you know for work or whatever when you when right. you're going to different meeting new people going uh, exploring different cultures it's a it's huge it's such a huge personal development kind of thing cuz i know that yeah. um, cuz i ended up traveling all over the place for, for when i was in makeup effects and i never wanted to travel like never <laughs> i'm just i'm such a homebody I don't, you know, I could be, ha- I would be happy never talking to anybody again and just painting in my studio <laughs> except my wife and the kids maybe, but uh, the grandkids. But um, be, I, I had to, I had to go to Italy for, for, for work and, uh, you know, travel to work in Seattle and Hawaii and Florida and um, went to London and Berlin for these art shows. And so right. just be, the, you know, as a means to an end, in end, I ended up traveling a lot, and I really it was uh, uh, it was such a huge education. I mean, every time I feel like it changed me, especially the first time when I went to Italy. Well, um, you did that right out of high school too, yeah. so that's like extremely profound. Right. Because when you know you look back to what kind of mentality you had as a high school kid, so like, oh, dude, God. that's mind blowing to go. Yeah, and I was so shy, and and oh god, it was it was terrifying, but I did it. And, <laughs> But now you look fondly upon it. I mean, oh, I've, yeah. I've interviewed you enough about it to know that, it, it, you know, you have great. You have like, yeah, you look back and you're like, man, I had some of the strongest cathartic experiences and epiphanies in my whole life while I was in Italy. You yeah. Know? Yeah. 
jet jetting out of your body after reading that book and taking the nap right yeah having like your first kind of not your first but like another experience of like disassociation yeah your ego and your identity and your your actual physical body and stuff lily munster giving me a dirty look on set (laughs) um my mom said I came back and I was like uh, an adult. I left a kid and I came back an adult. And she yeah. Like, she said it. And, and I it's funny. I made I remember I made this sculpture for her for her birthday, and it was I took my life cast and put plaster bandages around it and kind of like peeled part of it away so you could see like one eye. I think. Uh huh. It was really weird. Cool. And it was and it was so I don't know. It, I don't remember. I, I it was something like that. I don't remember the sculpture, but I remember it was like it was very much like uh, one of those. You know, you make some you make some cool art, and it ends up ends up representing exactly what you're going through at the time. You could right, look back right, five yeah, years yeah. later and go, "Oh, exactly. I know why I made that." You know, right? <laughs> it was coming out of my shell. You know, I was I was breaking out you're of my plaster bandage. The yeah, curtain. Yeah. So yeah, so I think travel is just. I that's why I, I think that. Everybody should travel. Everybody yeah. should travel as much as I hate traveling, just like on a personal <laughs> level. I'm just, you know, I'm just, you know, I like it when I get there, I guess. I just, that's not true. I like road trips. I don't like flying. It's, it's, it's uncomfortable, but yeah. Um, I, I think it's, it's sort of like required to be a, a, a well-rounded human being to go and travel to different places, especially other countries, but also yeah, yeah. other states and just different parts of the country where people do things differently. You know, it's like the cure for xenophobia. Mm-hmm. You yeah, know? right. I it's... mean, unless if you're, unless if you're, you know, you're somebody who's in a position where you're not going to experience the common person as by road of how you're traveling. Like if you're super rich and you're going to like yeah, get right. from your, your, you know, your fancy jet and get into your fancy car and drive to the fancy restaurant and then go to the fancy hotel yeah, and not, everyone's yeah. serving you along the way, then maybe it's not the cure for xenophobia. But I think for the common person like us, Anytime you travel, it, it, it you open up in ways mm-hmm. that you couldn't otherwise. Because really, I mean, it's an insular world that most of us put right. ourselves in. We have our house and our room with mm-hmm. our things. And, and more, more and more all the time, the you know, more and more all the time. Well, and that's, I mean, that's kind of what I was saying about, you know, the, the whole racism thing. Like, I was shocked, man, when we got, really, when we got to Louisiana... The kinds of things that came out of people's mouths, I would like, Joy and I would walk behind the RV and look at each other and our jaws would just be like, like, we, I mean, really speechless, like absolutely speechless where you're looking at each other like, this guy just said that. Yeah, yeah. he said it with no shame whatsoever. Like he was totally comfortable. That's how it was when I worked in Florida. It was like that too. I was like, wow. Yeah, Florida was like that too. I've never experienced that before. Yeah. And then again, but because of this weird shift that happened for me. I wasn't standing over there with my jaw dropped like, man, what a jerk. It wasn't like that at all. It was like, wow. He, he might like, have that something guy there. really thinks that. And <laughs> my, like he Mike's... believes that. And I'm he's not kidding. even trying to offend me or anything. You missed like, my joke. <laughs> what, what'd you Never say? Never mind. Never mind. I was just saying you, you thought he might have something there. <laughs> <laughs> no. No, if I told you the kind of things he was saying, which I'm not going no, to. I know. Like, I, I, I it's know, just so know. offensive. But it's like. I mean, again, it was just like, you know, really more fascinating. And I guess that's kind of what I found throughout all of this is like whomever I'm spending time with, I'm more just kind of fascinated Mm -hmm. by the process of observation. Like I'm really that's been the thing is like I'm really enjoying this, like observe and maybe not even report a whole lot. 
and then at times report a lot, you know, because that's mm-hmm. kind of like this. This is a very like a gonzo journalistic life, right? I mean, what am I doing but going around and traveling and, and foisting myself and for you know and putting myself into circumstances where I have an effect over what what it is that's going on, and then writing and documenting about it. You know, it's it's not clinical. It's certainly not classic journalism because I am a part of the action. You know. But my my feeling about it isn't one of like, oh, wow, I can't believe that guy was so racist. It's more like, wow, it's fascinating that there are these groups of people that fundamentally believe that way yeah. and that that's just what their world is and will likely always be. And and that's just to me, it's like it's almost like kind of a stranger an, in a strange. Yeah, anthropological style, you know? anthropological approach to like just studying a culture and not judging it. But it's yeah. not been an attempt. I haven't been like going out of my way to do it. Like, oh, I'm going to take an intro. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. No, it just happens. It's just been a natural thing, which is really fun and kind of comforting. You know, it's like, like the, the Rush song "Limelight." You know, "Limelight." Yeah, yeah, totally. The, 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 those, the living in the limelight, the universal dream for those who wish to seem, those who wish to be, must put aside the alienation, get on with the fascination. The real relation, the underlying theme. Yes, I was hoping you were going to sing it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, the other the other Rush song that hits me a lot of the time is the Fountain of Lamneth because I'm always coming up again the other side. It's like you get to the place, you're like, oh my god, it's so cool and interesting, and then you know you're going to be going back down the hill. (laughs) There's another one that you're going to be coming back because that's what I mean, like always arriving and always leaving. You know, I'm always saying my goodbyes to these people I've just met, and I'm always walking into a situation where I'm meeting these new people and you're always arriving and leaving. And so there's never like, that's why I think it's boggling to you when you're like, so what's your plan? What's the next step? What's what, you know, what's the schedule? What do you have any, you know, benchmarks? And it's like, I think it's really foreign and weird to think about it on the terms of, again, to play the rush thing, the fountain of Lemneth, where it's like you arrive to this thing you thought about and you had your ideas about, and then it, it is what it is. And whatever it is, is what you take in. And then you're off down and you realize, Oh, there's another big mountain. I'm going to coming up the next time. Right. And it's always just the same thing. It's just different places, different people, different experiences. I mean, right now, I don't know what I'm going to do for the next five months. Most of the time, Joy and I start planning a week before we leave a place. So my guess is in about two weeks, we'll probably be like, well, what do you want to do next? Then we look at what we have available resource-wise to us, and we look about, well, how far do we want to go? And is there anyone who happened to pop out of the universe that's interested in seeing us? Mm-hmm. Or have we, you know, uh, followed the synchronicities to lead us in a direction like Leonard Farm or what? You know, whatever's going on. And then we strike a plan and we poke our way to where it is, and we get there and we, you know, adapt to that circumstance and have that experience, and yeah, then very... it replays itself and it replays itself. But dude, it can't be boring because it's always different. Yeah, it's Even very... when we went back to places, we we went to uh, back to Louisiana twice to the same place, and the second time we went back, it was a whole different experience than the first time. You know? Yeah, it's like a really improvisational way to live your life. You know, it's um, it's very improvisational. Definitely. We we do our calendar on the whiteboard on the fridge has three days on it at wow. a time. And most days we plan those out like, you know, we'll get up and OK, well, what are we going to do for the next three days? And then, you know, well, sometimes it's only what are we going to do for that day? But, you know, there are also big jobs going on. So it's like, for instance, you know, when we were in Louisiana the second time, I was writing a book and taking photographic work for Abandoned Sulphur, Louisiana book that I, I've been commissioned by Font Hill Media to do. And so one of the jobs we had while we were there was, you know, work on the Atomix Kickstarter project 
and go and document abandoned places. And so we're doing this whole urbex thing, this urban exploring thing. And it's not always urban. A lot of it's rural, actually. Mm -hmm. But what every Wednesday for four, almost five weeks, we hopped in the car and we just explored southern Louisiana around Sulphur and went into abandoned buildings and went into abandoned factories and traveled around abandoned places and had a variety of local tour guides take us, you know, as in people we met that knew mm-hmm. about some abandoned places. And so the whole time we're going around shooting photography and writing copy for this book that's going to come out next year. And so that was what was happening then and there because I had been propositioned to do this. I got a contract. We signed it. We're doing this deal. I'm running this Kickstarter. So life at that point in time was hang out with the Louviers down in, in you know, Louisiana, work a Kickstarter, work this abandoned job. But when we were when we were in Florida, the last time I was on this this podcast, what we were doing was, you know, hanging out with Bam and Tudor. And learning about these crazy, cool Russian dudes that are, you know, revamping this park and working Gabe's Kickstarter. And, a bit, you know, uh, that was when we were exploring abandoned things just for the fun of it, like that abandoned restaurant with the right. bat and everything that we went and explored at night, you know? Yeah. So it's like if we can't – if there's nothing presenting itself that's interesting to do, we definitely can find things to <laughs> occupy yeah, ourselves. Yeah. And make content out of it because all the content's there. I mean, you know, it's inherent of what it is that we're doing. Right. So it's pretty fun. I, I, it seems like, you know, the patrons continue to find it engaging because we, you know, people continue to support it and we get new patrons. So, you know, that's to me, that's gratifying because I want people to consume what it is that we're producing and I want them to find gratification in it on whatever level, whether it's, you know, because they're they they want to live vicariously and, and have that that experience or because they just like to support what it is we're doing or because they genuinely like to see images of. 18 different states in eight months yeah. <laughs> videos of me being like, check out this abandoned house I'm walking through right now. Isn't, <laughs> isn't it creepy and disgusting? <laughs> you know? Wow. Well, we should wrap this up because I have to get, um, I have to finish this painting for the dark art society show. Yeah. Which, which is will be up, what the 12th of October. At yes. Rush? It'll be, it'll be Saturday. It'll be this Saturday, even though we're recording this. The yeah. week before that, yeah. Um, so I have to get that done. Well, and it's kind of neat to me that you know a year ago we had the first annual Dark Art Society retreat on my property in New Mexico. Fast forward one year, and I don't have property in New Mexico, <laughs> and we're having the first ever Dark Art Society group show. Yeah, so it's kind of that's kind of fun that it's like you know an anniversary thing, September, October, every year, something interesting happens with the dark art society <laughs> now so far. <laughs> yeah. I was, someone was asking about that uh, on the, in the five questions I do in the beginning now about the, the next retreat. And I was just saying, I, I, I can't, you know, I can't even think to do that at this point, but it, it would be cool to do a, a mini convention, maybe more of a convention. Hell yeah, dude. That'd be great. <clears throat> With, I could definitely show up. I'm not that's stuck true. in New Mexico. <laughs> that's true. Unless you're in like Louisiana or something. Or <laughs> yeah, but I can, you know, change, plans can change. Oh. Seeing as I only have one obligation in the next six months. <laughs> that's true. That's pretty. That's an open. That's pretty open. I was one thing I wanted to ask you is, are you gonna ever hit the like northern states? Because it's 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 a trip me out is that you've just been spending all this time in the south for the most part. 
Well, I mean, we drove through on our way back, you know, when we, we went to South Dakota from the South, right? That was right. when we, that was our exodus from South, from the South. And then we drove from South Dakota through Nebraska oh, and then okay. Nebraska into Colorado and oh. then Colorado down to New Mexico for that obligation. Right. And then Colorado to Utah to Nevada to now Oregon. Right. So we are now technically speaking in, in the Pacific Northwest. Are you going to so do any more? Northern States now. Are you going to do any more of that? Are you going to go? Well, I see. The main you thing know, is this. it's weather, right? So like, oh, right. Yeah. I don't know how much more of it we're going to do this time of year. I'm not trying to drive all that in a bunch of snow. Right. So, you know, I, yeah, I forgot about the snow. snow, but we, you know, we are here now. Um, and we, it'll be a matter of the weather because the weather really does dictate a lot of our moves. Like, you know, we left Louisiana when we left last time because there was a hurricane coming, <laughs> you know? So, right. um, so we do, we do try to travel and keep ourselves in a certain climb. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So we're not miserable and we're also not expending a bunch of useless resources like burning crap loads of propane to run a furnace right. and all of that. Um, so, but yeah, we, I mean, you know, I plan to see all the states at least twice. I mean, come mm -hmm. on, why, who wouldn't under these right, circumstances? Right. <laughs> but you know, it also depends on, on what happens with people that want to work with us too. Cause it's like, if we get offers, people want to do like here where we're doing on the ground consultation cause they want to do it on the ground instead of doing it online, then we'll show up. Right. You know, I mean, simple as that. And I'm always looking for, you know, new clients. I mean, right now, I've normally what I do three or four Kickstarters a year. I've only done two this year. So anybody listening that wants to roll a, a fall Kickstarter, hit me up because I'd love to consult with you and see if there's a, something worth doing there. And that's how it always is. You got to figure out if there's something worth doing, you know. Right. But uh, yeah, I mean, I you know, if, if someone picks me up for some work, I'm apt to follow that trail. Because again, like you said, I'm kind of just following the breadcrumbs, right. you know seeing what presents itself and then if it feels right then pursuing it and if it feels wrong then avoiding it you know it's all very much based on those natural kind of biorhythm thing so i don't know good question i mean i'm near california right now but i'm also near washington and my sister has a cabin in washington i've never been to yeah that's and it's what not, i was it's wondering not snowing till november so i, I was wondering surprised if, gonna, if i ended up in washington yeah visit your family out there because you're yeah. pretty close yeah, I mean, why, you know, so, but again, I, I can't say for sure that's what will happen. And maybe that's part of the fun of it is not knowing, you right. know, I don't really know. And, and I'm kind of at peace with that. So I'm here now and this right. is a cool place, <laughs> you know, it's a, it's a Zen, Zen way of living where you just got to kind of like go with the flow. Well, people should go and check out the Dark Art Society first official group show because I saw the lineup and it's in it's like. Take conjoined and give it steroids. That is the dark art society. <laughs> well, it's group smaller group. though. It is smaller than conjoined. It's it's more concentrated. It's smaller and it's not a bunch of special effects guys. So right. there are multiple things that differ, but nevertheless, like yeah. I saw that lineup. It's a great lineup. Yeah, the stuff's looking really cool. That's why I have to uh, work on this painting because it's like this painting has to be good. You know, I think um, I got to ask Gary, but I might put the painting I did for that movie Bliss. You know, the the movie I worked on. Do you know about that? Where I no, I don't think I know about that. It's a it's a a vampire uh, a horror movie, kind of an arty horror movie that came out. Joe Begas directed. He's the guy that did Mind's Eye. I think it was was it the Mind's Eye that we saw at. Uh, 
Ithaca. The Ithaca? Ithaca Festival. Yeah. You know the one yeah. that the, – did you see that one that was like kind of a scanners-y sort of 80s type vibe? This you movie? told me about oh, it. I okay. didn't see that one because I was dealing with all the, the oh. fiascos with my <laughs> right. luggage. Anyway, this guy, uh, he hired me to do this painting for this centerpiece for this film. It's about this nice. – woman who's a painter and she gets oh i vaguely remember yeah, yeah. talking about this now last year and she and gets, the last yeah year. yeah and it's like just this vampire drug fueled crazy really amazing kind of movie and um but i might put the i still have the painting because he bought the original painting mm. the director and so he uh, i still have it so i'm gonna ask gary if i could put it in the show as another piece because that'd be kind of cool just to have it yeah, as a piece cool. in the show um, yeah yeah that was in the movie, but yeah. Anyway, well, why don't you give out your, your Patreons for people? Yeah. Um, so if anybody wants to follow along and right now it's, it's very simple structure. It's a buck for the stories. It's three for the images and the stories. It's six for the videos, the images and the stories. And it's nine. If you want first look on new wards and sun catchers plus, plus a discount and then everything else. So it's, you know, you go up one and you get everything below it. You go up the next, you get everything below it. Um, and I, I think check the test of the fact that I post a lot of content. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I think you've even criticized me at times for how much content I post in these blitzes because we'll end up where we don't have a signal for however long. And then I'll be like, I'll like dump content. Like it's, content. you know, I've turned Dated on the, the geyser or whatever, but, uh, patreon.com forward slash land of enchantment tours. And that's if you want to follow the light side. So that's all the stuff that's like pretty and interesting and nothing that's like disgusting and gross and scary um and if you want to follow the dark side it's patreon.com forward slash emails from infinity and you can follow both of them if you want and see both of those worlds which we have people that do both of them uh, my mom for instance doesn't care to follow the dark one but she follows the light one <laughs> so funny. you know it's it's fine if you want to cherry pick so that's definitely worth checking out I'm also going to give Chet a link to our our uh, About Energy page, which talks all about that you can throw into the description. Um, and it's just a, a peripheral page on my big cartel, but it talks all about our vision and our mission, and it talks about the services we provide. It has a directory of all the Kickstarters I've ever been involved in because I've now successfully done 11 of them in seven years, um, successful ones. So we've got a list there of that. So it's kind of got a little bit of everything we do, and I'd like to give you that link to put in the description. So if people yeah, want to learn more about our con- our company and what we do and how you can get involved, because um, we are currently accepting executive producers with profit share options on some of our projects as well as sponsors. Um, so, yeah, there's a lot of opportunities to get involved aside from just becoming a patron. Uh, so, yeah, check, those, check that stuff out and uh, find us on YouTube and Vimeo and all the other places where we exist. Well, cool. And if you want to support the Dark Art Society podcast, it is patreon.com slash Society, And you could <clears throat> support it for a dollar a month and get the podcast at least one day early. Sometimes right, two still, days. Still doing the pre-roll? No, nah, I'm not doing the pre-roll. Oh, you're doing the questions now, right? Yeah, I got to figure something out for that because, you know, people are donating more and there's all these tiers that I haven't been. I mean, I've been putting up screen grabs, which I took some of you, by the way. Cool. I've been putting up the screen grabs, but I haven't been able to do a pre-roll um, podcast. I just haven't. I haven't. Um, it's so hard to do the podcast completely alone, and I just, I don't. I don't know that I have that much to talk about. But I am going to try and restructure all the rewards and and get that to where it's you know people are getting stuff for paying extra because there are pe- people that are just doing it <clears throat> out of the kindness of their heart and wanting to support yeah, yeah. at higher levels than a dollar. So. It's yeah, much appreciated. Yeah. I'll eventually get something together. It's just hard with the, the time. 
Anyway, and I have a Patreon, patreon.com slash Chetzar. But you are, probably already knew that out there. But I could still use the support. And, um, yeah, if you want to support those, support all of our Patreons if you want. Yeah. I, you know, it's funny, Sean, as you mentioned to me that, you know, he's not a Facebook guy. He's doesn't have an Instagram account. He's only used Facebook very mildly throughout the, the tenure of his hmm. account that he has. That's right. And he, he was like, you know, man, I'm so glad I found this Patreon thing. I love it. Cause he's, he's like, it's like pay and play. He's, he's like, I know. I, you know, I don't have to mess around with all the drama of Facebook. I don't have to worry about people that are trolling or uh, you get, know, getting your, no one's going to pay a buck to troll. And so yeah, you're getting to your, this very pure place where people are genuinely interested in a common thing yeah. and everyone's sharing it together. It's like, it's like paying and for you can go back and look at it any time. I mean, dude, I have like hundreds of posts that if you just sign up now, you have like two years worth of content. Yeah, right. Same thing with you that you can go back and partake in anytime you want. There's yeah, no it's like it's like a. Uh, Paying for individual entertainment services versus cable. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah. Like getting just the channels you want, but uh, and you don't hey, get your, you make... don't get your data mine too. So, which is that's good. true. That's very true. Um, yeah. Well, you also get full full resolution images too. So that's they're true. not compressed. Mm. They're these huge, beautiful. You could make a, a desktop screensaver out of any right. of the images that one of us put up. Um, but I also want to mention too, since you and I've been kind of pushing on this, is if you guys get a chance, Chet's going to put a link, I'm going to remind him, for suggesting I Like to Paint Monsters to Netflix. Oh, yeah. And I want to bring it up again because Chet, Good idea. it just happened that we were – I don't even know. It was a funny thing how it all played out. But the point is two years ago, we found out that you could suggest titles to Netflix. And we did a whole campaign and people went in and they suggested – and you want the full title, Chet Czar, colon, I Like to Paint Monsters. And we had a lot of people do it. I think we gave something away for the contest at the time. Point being, though, is that at the time, Netflix was like, well, we're not accepting anything under 4K and no indie documentaries. And, well, we all know that that's not true because we all use Netflix and we've seen what they offer. Yeah. So we think it was a put off. And what we think is if we keep getting people to suggest it, eventually there'll be a straw that breaks the camel's back. So I'm going to remind Chet to put the link in. And you, all you guys have to do literally is click on the link, sign into Netflix, and you can just type in the name and hit suggest. And I do believe that if the I'm imagining still around a thousand plus people listen to this, if a thousand plus of you suggest it, it's probably going to end up right. on Netflix. That's true. So just do it. It costs you nothing. Um, you yeah. know, even if you don't have a buck to throw to, at me and Chet, remember that I directed a film about him, and there's a cool film about him that he endorses and is the executive producer on. And so you it's guys a great movie. Suggest it. It's a free. great movie. It so deserves to be on on um, Netflix. It's so much better than. A lot of the stuff on Netflix. That's what kills me. It's like drives me nuts. It's I love like, that you can say that. I can't say that yeah, about my own film, but right. my subject can say that. <laughs> it's true. It's true. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. Thanks for bringing that up. I'll definitely put that in the description. Um, yeah. Well, thanks for taking the time out of your insane life or your <laughs> or sane life, maybe. Maybe it's more sane than, um, <laughs> than uh, people that have kind of regular jobs. It's, well, it's, it's more sane in another like it's more way. Gratifying. So I yeah. hear a lot of people complaining about how miserable, boring their lives are. Right. I definitely don't have a problem with miserable, <laughs> boring. So. But yeah, it's my pleasure, dude. I'm glad to come back, and thanks for having me back. It's, yeah. it's fun that you know I could have left the podcast as a result of this change, but still be welcomed back as the co-founder and and be here doing this with you. It felt very natural as always. Yeah, it was fun. Well, we'll do it again next time you have a good Wi-Fi and have some adventures to talk about 
But I know I should have done it from Chris Haas's house. That was so dumb. Here I am with Chris Haas at his studio with Wi-Fi. <laughs> it, you know, I was like, if ever there's an opportunity, this is it. But I oh. said nothing, and so nothing happened. Yeah. Well. Well, next time. Thank you, everyone, for listening. We super appreciate it, yes. and for having me back and putting up with my voice for another hour of your life. <laughs> we're at two hours, just about. I think. Whoa, dang. Hours. Yeah. Rock well, and roll. It, it broke three times, so I'm gonna have to. Brian, I'm sorry. Sorry, Brian. I love to... you. I miss you, Brian. <laughs> Brian Kilgore, the amazing sound engineer, is gonna have to stitch he these three together. He is incredible. Brian Kilgore Sounds. Yes. Com. Yes. All right. All right. Peace, Chet. Say goodbye. See you later, Mike. Goodbye, audience. Goodbye, everybody.